Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And don't forget, you can find the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And also, do not forget and definitely follow the Twitter page at JTime Sports. It is the Twitter page for the show, but it is also a breaking news site, which I'm constantly on there breaking news, retweeting information I find, things of that nature. So definitely give that a follow. But into this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NBA, what's going down there, how the NBA is in full swing. We'll be talking about the NFL, which never seems to go away from the news cycle. We will talk about a NFL topic that is a little bit offshoot. We'll talk about that in the show. And then we will have best for last. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Alrighty, guys, and welcome into the show. This is a special edition Thursday episode. Uh, we're going to go on Thursday this week and not Friday. I've got some out-of-town stuff to take care of, some other engagements, but we I wanted to make sure I got this show out to you guys, so I will be doing it on a Thursday, which because it is not football season, it's not that huge of a deal. We'll just, you know, like I said, jump in on a Thursday. I'm going to do my best to keep shows on Friday during the football season because those predictions right before Sunday and, of course, Thursday night football coverage, things of that nature. But like I said, it's the NBA, so you can pretty much jump in anytime during the week. The show doesn't really change all that much. But jumping, speaking of the NBA, we're going to jump right into the NBA. And of course, as always, when we start basketball, what do we do? We take a look at the standings. So currently, as of Thursday morning, as of this morning, we have out east Sixers, Nets, Bucks, Pacers, Raptors, Bulls, Hornets, Heat. Celtics, Knicks. Now, of course, we do 1 through 10 because of the play-in tournament and the way the standings are looking on both sides. There will be play-in tournaments on in both conferences, unlike last year in the bubble where only the West had a play-in tournament. And for the speaking of the West, we have Utah, Clippers, Lakers, Phoenix, Portland, San Antonio, Denver, Golden State, Dallas, and Memphis. Uh, with New Orleans, I believe, a uh, game behind Memphis at 11. I can't remember who's 11 right now for the East. But, like I said, uh, Memphis is currently 10. And New Orleans, I believe, is one game behind them at 11 for the West. But taking a look at the standings and looking at some win streaks. Obviously, Brooklyn, seven in a row. Most of that without Kevin Durant is incredibly impressive. But it means nothing. Justin, how does it mean nothing? They've won seven in a row. They beat the Lakers. They beat the Clippers. They beat this team. They beat that team. You're right. But what did I say? There's no Kevin Durant. Look, the Nets' problem was never going to be if it's two of them. Everyone figured KD and Kyrie would get to the NBA Finals. Well, that was the general consensus is that they would be in the Eastern Conference Finals at a minimum because you had Jared Allen. You had DeAndre Jordan. You had um, Joe Harris. You had Timothy Lawal Cabrera. You had Karis LeVert off the bench. You had... You know, those guys, that crew, you figured KD and Kyrie, if healthy, are going to make the Eastern Conference Finals at a minimum. Uh, most thought they were going to make the NBA Finals because they figured the only team in the way with Milwaukee, who usually collapses, and Brooklyn, and not Brooklyn, sorry, and Boston and, you know, Milwaukee before the season started, was looking like the t- teams in the way. But Brooklyn was pretty much the consensus around the league in terms of the NBA Finals. And then you add James Harden and you get rid of a Jared Allen who just went for 26 and 18 last night. You get rid of a Karis LeVert who unfortunately right now is recovering from the mass on his liver, a lump on his liver. Um, you get rid of other depth and all that draft capital. I mean, he can't play, but it's still a capital on a trade for James Harden. And the issue became three people, one ball. And so... Uh, goodfully or thankfully at the moment not goodfully that's not even a word thankfully at the moment or unthankfully depending on your point of view they've only played seven games together since all three were together uh obviously it was Harden and kd for a while because Kyrie was out personal issues now it is Harden and Kyrie because kd's out due to a hamstring injury that the nets are confident that he'll be back before all-star break i'm not sure it's worth him playing in the all-star game i mean if he's healthy he's gonna want to play 
But if I'm Brooklyn, I claim injury and say, man, put Tobias Harris in the game or something like that. And then give KD the full week. If I'm Brooklyn, I don't play him before the All-Star break. Why would you? A, your regular season doesn't really matter besides practicing, getting those three guys on the same page. And B, your two games clear Milwaukee and so far Harden and Kyrie are ripping up the NBA. So why would you put the stress and the angst on KD's body to possibly rush him back? And now you have a situation where he plays a couple of games, goes into the All-Star game. You don't know if he tweaks the hamstring. You don't know what could happen in this run of games. And you've won seven straight, most of them without him. And you've beaten the Clippers. Got a flop to James Harden. The Lakers beat them pretty handily. And you've beaten a couple of other very good teams in the NBA without having your trio. So why would you risk KD's health for that kind of situation when you could just look and simply not play him until after All-Star break? Look, the Lakers have already done it with Anthony Davis to the detriment of their roster, who we'll talk about in a second. To the detriment of their record, they have just flat out said, look, AD's not playing because you know you get AD and LeBron James in the playoffs, and that's all that pretty much matters. You, I mean, the seed doesn't matter. Do the COVID home home court doesn't really matter. Um, LeBron said it before in his career. It doesn't matter if I'm the one, the two, the four, the six. If I'm in, if I'm in the playoffs from home court, if I don't have home court from coming to your building, I'm a threat. And pretty much is how the Lakers should look at it. If they come into anybody's building, they're a threat. They're a big threat. And with that being said, the Nets should take that same approach. Dude, we're a threat. It doesn't matter where we go. I mean, they can end up the sixth seed. They won't. But they can end up the sixth seed, and they're going to smash the three and then go on to the next round. Like, there is no benefit in playing Kevin Durant before the second half of the NBA season starts. And I would greatly consider sitting him down if I am Brooklyn. However, looking back on the team that is sitting their star, the Los Angeles Lakers. They have now dropped four in a row, and they are completely struggling with the lack of Anthony Davis um, it's not just an Anthony Davis it is the loss of Dennis Schroeder as well they are struggling defensively and they're struggling even worse offensively because without Dennis Schroeder you're putting a lot of onus on LeBron James's shoulders to run the offense and he's probably one of your best shooters on the floor and he's pretty much playing your rebounding position because Marcus Gasol is a glacier and Harold is a little. And he's now having to pick up a bigger burden on defense because you can't put an Anthony Davis or a Schroeder on a guard or a forward because it is absolutely not possible because both of them are out. Now, help should be on the way. The Calvary should be inbound because Dennis Schroeder should clear health and safety protocols very soon. Uh, he should clear them at possibly as soon as their next game, which I believe is tonight. Um, he could clear them as soon as today, or he can clear them tomorrow, and he'll be ready for get a couple games in before All-Star break. But they need to get some wins. They have a tough stretch coming up. I believe they have a game against Phoenix. I know they have a game against Golden State. They need to put a couple of wins together before the All-Star break, give those guys confidence going into the break. Um, LeBron is participating All-Star weekend, but I don't anticipate anybody else will. Um, and with that being said, you need to give LeBron James confidence in his unit and his squad. Uh, right now, you can see it's frustrating, but okay, let's 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 have a talk. Let's let's have a chat. I, I consider you guys some of my closest sports friends, confidants. Let's have a chat. Let's have a let's have a talk. We have entered the annual session of man. LeBron James team is struggling. Man, wait, what's wrong with LeBron? He's having a bad month. Shooting the ball. I mean, shooting 20-something percent from three. He just shot 40% the last month. What's going on with LeBron? Man, the Lakers roster didn't put together right. This LeBron team eh, it's just not put together right. Man, they need this. They need that. They need this guy, this person. This guy's useless. I don't know why they picked him up. You know what? I've heard that. I've heard that the last decade of my life, you know what nine of those years ended with? A healthy LeBron James playing in the NBA Finals. You know what the year that that didn't happen? 
was the growing year the first year in LA? Look, I heard it in Cleveland. I heard it in Miami. That's not Miami. They don't have a center. They don't have a real point guard. And every year LeBron James put on a heat uniform, they were in the finals. And up until last year, had not been in the finals since. He goes back to Cleveland. Man, well, Kevin Love was a stat patter, but you know, how good is he really? And Kyrie Irving's so young and so ball dominant. I don't know how him and LeBron's going to work together. And Kyrie's not even a great spot-up shooter. And they still don't have a center. Man, who's going to play center for them? Tristan Thompson? He's only 6'8". And for the four years that LeBron was in Cleveland, they were in the NBA Finals, beat the 73-9 Warriors, came back from 3-1. And if the Warriors don't go and add the super nuclear weapon known as Kevin Durant, they probably win at least one more, maybe three-peated. Or if Kyrie and Kevin Love don't get hurt in the first time, they at least go back-to-back. And then he comes to L.A. Man, it's a bunch of kids on this roster. How is this going to work? It didn't. Although they were, what, fourth in the West when LeBron got hurt? They were playing well. And then LeBron James gets hurt, the team falls apart, and they never recover. And then they make the trade for Anthony Davis. And it's, you know, man, they don't, oh, man, who's playing center for that team? And who's your starting point guard again? Rondo. Rondo's, man, Rondo's over the hill. Rondo's washed. Dwight and JaVale. Those two clown shows, no way they're going to play starting center in a championship team. And then we ended the bubble with LeBron James holding a championship and a finals MVP trophy in the finals again. Are we really going to run with that national narrative that he's struggling? He is. Not shooting well. That this team is poorly constructed. It ain't the best, admittedly. That this team has got some fatal flaw in it that somebody else is going to keep him out of the finals. Let's not do that, people. LeBron's going back to the finals. If Anthony Davis is healthy, and he's not going without him, I, I'll say that right now. He, If Anthony Davis is not healthy, you can book the Lakers gone by the first or second round. It ain't happening. But if Anthony Davis is healthy, you can pencil in LeBron into the finals again for the 11th year that he's going to be in the finals. You can just pencil it in. It's going to happen. So your only hope if you're a LeBron hater is that he doesn't get a healthy Anthony Davis back. Which, given AD's history, is a possibility, a strong possibility. But that's the only chance you have is that you better hope AD doesn't come back healthy. Because LeBron, AD, and the Lakers versus the West, I've got the Lakers. Not particularly closely. Of course, everybody's darling is Utah. I've said it before, I'll say it again. They're that Hawks team with the five All-Stars. Yeah. Remember what happened to them? They got LeBron. They lost in four. And honestly, if they could have lost in two, they would have. My God, the series wasn't even close. It's going to happen again to them. Just this time it's going to be in Utah. Or they might get kawaii Well, they might get damned. But that Utah team everybody loves is not that great. They're going to get destroyed in the playoffs by somebody much more talented than they are. But hey, Utah, at least you have hope. Unlike the Boston Celtics. Look, Boston, you're Green Bay. I mean, it's a perfect analogy for you. You're the Green Bay Packers. A legendary franchise. Multiple championships. Hell, you got some amazing coaches from way back when. Red Harbach and Vince Lombardi. You've got glorified history with some absolute legends of the game. Bar star Bill Russell, Paul Pierce, Brett Favre. You got a growing goat, possibly. You've got Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown against Aaron Rodgers. Not quite the linear comparison, but you get the point. Your management team has been long lauded. Danny Ainge, Ted Thompson. You've got a good young coach. Some say a great offensive-minded young coach, Brad Stevens and Matt LaFleur. You don't like to lose trades. You don't really go for it, though, because you like to have the next plan. So you do things like don't trade first-round picks that turn into Carson Edwards. Or you draft Jordan Love instead of Justin Jefferson. And you're both disappointments. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to rant on the Packers. Like I can save them for later. I feel like they're going to give me an opportunity. But the Boston Celtics, you're screwed. No, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, 
you're not, no, no, you're screwed. I, I try to be nice, but I try to talk my way in my brain out of not saying you're, you are screwed. Like Ebenezer, you're Scrooge. And you're screwed. So it's a little bit worse than you. I mean, you're, because you're cheap. And your cheapness has come back to bite you. Because you wouldn't trade Jalen Brown and some picks for Kawhi Leonard. You wouldn't trade Jalen Brown, Marcus Martin, a couple picks for Anthony Davis. You wouldn't trade some assets for Aaron Gordon to put with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum because you wanted to keep your depth. Your depth currently has you two games under 500, currently not in the playoffs, 15 and 17 overall and on a three-game losing streak, including blowing a 24-point lead to the Pelicans and getting your eyes shot out and your head shot off by Luca with two major step back threes, even though Taysom made a Jason Tatum made a game tying layup in between those step back threes. Luca shot your face off, and guess what? You lost again. But hey, you've got all those draft picks. Uh huh. You drafted Taco Fall, G League. You drafted Tremont Waters. I like him, he's an LSU kid. He's small, G League. You drafted Carson Edwards. G League. You know what's amazing? You know, you know who's not in the G League? Kawhi Leonard, Aaron Gordon, and Anthony freaking Davis. You said no to all three. Doesn't that hurt just a, a little? And I've got Danny Ainge saying the roster's bad and it's my fault. No crap. Of course it's your fault. Who else fault would it be? I mean, let's be honest. The one time you went against your own nature, your best friend Kevin McHale gifted you Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen was gifted to you as well from the Sonics. That's the one time you went against your nature. You have a championship. Before or since, you have you have stayed in your nature. You've won trades. You've, you've built a cache of assets. And you have nothing to show for it but disappointment. And now you're currently paying two very good players. Both of them shouldn't be all-stars they can pick. Two very good players. A lot of money to be ninth in the East. Oh, just a comparison. The ninth place team in the West would be the fourth place team in the East. I tell you how great the East is. And you're ninth two games under 500 and due to some odd tiebreaker you're in front of the Knicks or you'd be 10th yeah Boston it's that bad and like I said with these contracts kicking in free agency is going to be that's not going to happen plus Brad Stevens is so systemized no big time free agent would want to go there anyway because guess what big time free agents kind of like doing their own thing and because they like doing their own thing they tend to not want to play in a hard system guess what Boston you're in a load of trouble a big load a ginormous load and with that being said Boston get strapped in you won't be this bad forever but you're never winning a title not with this contingent not with this group in the front office or on the court and you're paying Kemba a lot of money and he's a shell of himself I'm gonna call him a bum but he He's not where he used to be. Boston, 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 Boston. You ran Tom Brady out of town and you kept Danny Ainge. Neither one of those options seem to be very good right now. But anyway, we are going to shift. We're going to stay in the NBA, but we're going to hit those all-star reserves as they were announced. Yeah, of course, we in the East have Jalen Brown. James Harden, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, also that struggling Boston team, and Nikola Vucevic, who's having a very good year quietly for a pretty not-so-great Orlando Magic team. And out west, we have Anthony Davis, Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, and New Orleans' own Zion Williamson. 
Now, due to injury, Devin Booker, who many considered was a, um, the biggest snub universally, it will replace Anthony Davis. Uh, there, there was some debate between who should have been in, DeMontis Sabonis or Julius Randle. There's also a debate of which Sixers should be in, Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons. I agree with both of the decisions. Um, in terms of Julius Randle Sabonis, sorry, but that Nick's cachet is a little strong, obviously. But Randle's having a little bit better year to me, consistency-wise, over Sabonis. Especially efficiency. At one point, he was shooting better threes than Dame. So, we add all that into consideration. Plus, admittedly, that New York Knicks power has a little bit of control. And, of course, guys like Rick Buecher and Jalen Rose have pointed out the fact that it's the coach's vote. So, maybe Tom Thibodeau had a little bit more pull in the room for the coaches than Nate Bjorgen of the Pacers did for Sabonis. So... And then the other one, obviously, was Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons, who with six years should have gone. I say Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons has a very legitimate case at Defensive Player of the Year this year. A very, very legitimate case at Defensive Player of the Year this year. And his numbers are on the uptick as of late, and he's playing very efficiently. Tobias Harris is what Tobias Harris is. He's a good player. He's nothing to insult, nothing to slander, nothing to do anything about. But if I had to choose a person who impacts the game on the in, on both ends of the floor, rather, it's Ben Simmons, who's, it looks like, from what I can see just from the selections, that the coaches were rewarding defense. I mean, look at guys who got in. Ben Simmons got in, probably because of his defense. Jalen Brown got in. He's a two-way player. Gobert got in. He's pretty much all defense. AD got in. His defensive analytic numbers were good this year. You look at, you know, other guy, Randall, that plays pretty solid defense. Tatum is a good two-way player. Vucevic plays decent defense. A lot of the guys on this list, Paul George is an amazing two-way player who had a very good case of being a starter. So you look at all these guys, look at the coaches' vote had a lot to do with both ends of the floor. They're trying to reward guys who play both ends. You know, Zion really doesn't. Mitchell's not great. Chris Paul's a pretty decent defender still. Uh, Lillard's not great on defense. Obviously, we know by Harden, his defensive struggles, although he's good in the post. It looked like the coaches were trying to award guys who play both ways, which would give the nod towards Ben Simmons over Tobias Harris. As for the MVP discussion, it feels like it changes every week, and LeBron had an opportunity to put a stranglehold on it. If they played well minus AD, they have not. And so my MVP currently would be the number one seed in the East best player, which would be Joel Embiid, followed by pick your person. I mean, because the Nets are out. Anybody on the Nets is out. Harden has a case, but he's playing beside Kyrie on a pretty decent team. The Nets are out. Giannis' team is just not having good enough, and nobody's winning three times in a row since Larry Bird, so he's de facto out. You look at Utah, Donovan Mitchell doesn't feel like a league MVP. Rudy Gobert definitely isn't, and nobody else on the team has a case. Uh, Paul George has a pretty good case to the Clippers, but he's going to split up the votes with Kawhi Leonard for those who like the Clippers. And of course, like I just said about LeBron James, he is struggling to keep the Lakers afloat minus AD. Uh, he's struggling, struggling this month. Uh, unfortunately, his cold spell, which usually comes around in January, came a month later, and it happened to coincide with Anthony Davis' injury. So right now, my clear front court, my clear MVP favorite is Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, it would not shock me if LeBron picks up his play and gets back into it. Obviously, like I said, uh, I don't think anybody else really has a case. Dame had a hell of a case, but Portland has fallen off a little bit. They've lost three in a row. So, uh, Portland has fallen off a little bit, which has hurt Dame's chances. But right now, it's clear to me that Joel Embiid is the MVP of the NBA. But up next, we are going to shift to the NFL and talk about a few of the messes that are happening there with people's contracts. Alrighty, guys, and we are back. Welcome back in. Uh, if you love basketball, that last segment was especially for you. That was our longest basketball segment ever. So I was really happy about that. It's something, you know, that I would have to I'm going to get more into as the season progresses, especially with basketball or football, rather being in the offseason, although the franchise tag deadline or the, the time to start recruiting for agents, I believe is March 17th or March 14th, one of the two um, to start recruiting for agents in the moratorium and stuff like that. 
And so when there's always drama and there's quarterback drama, we start getting stories left and right. And per a few credible reports, Dak Prescott will be returning to the Dallas Cowboys on the franchise tag. Now, the franchise tag is a rental or a lease. Right. So you let's just say you go to Enterprise and you're, I mean, you're thinking about, hey, man, I really want a new truck. But you're like, man, I don't want to test drive this truck for 10, 15 minutes and then drop $45,000 on this on 10, 15 minutes. Like, I really want to take this truck, put gas in it, drive it around a little bit, see how much gas it takes from a certain point, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. That's what you want to do with your new truck. You want to really get a good feel of the truck. So you say, hmm, I have an idea. I, I've chosen about three or four different options. I have a while to choose. I'm not in any rush to buy a truck. I'll go to Enterprise and I'll rent trucks. I'll rent the Ford. I'll rent the Chevy. I'll rent the Dodge. And I will decide and I'll rent the Nissan. And then I will decide out of those four through that weekend. I'll pick it up Friday night, bring it back Sunday. How does the truck ride? How does it feel? Does it part? Does it fit in my home? Does it look good in my driveway? Etc. 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 But I'm only renting it because I'm not falling in love with it. But I'll make the purchase if one of them pans out. That's what the Cowboys and the franchise tags are basically doing to players, and in this case, the Cowboys to deck. You're just renting it. You want to see for whatever reason that you need to see it some more. For instance, you want to see if it fits in the garage. You want to see if Dak Prescott keeps holding in the locker room together. You want to see if it performs well on the road. You want to see how Dak performs during the season. You want to see how the gas mileage is. You want to see how Dak Prescott recovers from his ankle. He's basically a rented car from Enterprise at this point. And either going the second time through this franchise tag process, he's going to be the highest paid quarterback this year due to the fact that the franchise tag number this season would be lower however because it is a percentage off of last season increase he is going to make 37 million dollars i believe this year if he returns to the cowboys on the franchise tag which would mean the cowboys would have paid him 68 million dollars over the past two seasons you know what's funny about that they probably could have given him a four-year extension a couple of years ago for about 68 million dollars in terms of guaranteed money stress that out over the four years and your cap hit is way lower than it has been over the past couple of seasons because instead of him conning 31 million dollars flat against your cap last season and 37 million dollars against your cap next season if the reports are to believe and that he is returning on a franchise tag you could have counted for in the 20s maybe in the first couple of years in the teens because you would have been stretching his bonus out and his guaranteed money out over the life of a contract if you add on four years to two years is over six years but you didn't do that and you paid zeke early though that's a good job uh, you also paid demarcus lawrence who hasn't been playing like demarcus lawrence or anywhere close you also paid amari cooper who basically played eight games for you the year you gave him the contract so that's interesting but you refuse to pay Dak Prescott long term. I'm honestly annoyed by this story. It's bothersome. It is something that is honestly should never be done. I mean, look at the last quarterback we know is franchise tag. It was Kirk Cousins for the Vikings. Kirk Cousins hated it when he was in Washington and he was getting franchise tag. Now, he made a lot of money and Kirk Cousins is going to make over $200 million in his career partially due to the franchise tag. Well, you can some can say it can be completely because of the franchise tag. He was franchise tag twice in Washington, so he was paid in the top five. And then he was went to Minnesota, and they fully guaranteed his deal. Then he got another couple years fully guaranteed, basically because of him in the open market. He's done an amazing job of his contracts, but he hated it in Washington because it could have been a situation like Dak. Dak had no long-term security last season when he broke his ankle. If Dak injury is a little bit worse and hits a vein or something, Dak's career could have been over. And his financial gains through the game of football would have been done. And so, yes, the franchise tag, you make a lot of money on it. It is some guys' biggest paydays per year that they'll ever get in their career. But it gives you no long-term security in the event of an injury or anything like that. So that is why a lot of guys hate the franchise tag, especially quarterbacks. When does a quarterback have a franchise tag? Kirk Cousins was franchise tag. He left the team. 
Dak Prescott has been franchise tagged. The way it's looking like after this season, he's gone. So what is your plan in Dallas? Do you draft the quarterback now, pull a pull a Green Bay and draft the quarterback now and hope that he pans out when Dak decides to ultimately to walk away? What do you do if you're the Green Bay Packers? I am very curious about that. Speaking of contract extensions, apparently the Bucks are going to do what the what my Patriots didn't do, which was let Tom Brady dictate his future. The Bucks have reportedly been coming out and saying that uh, they're gonna they're trying to sign Tom Brady to a contract extension for multiple reasons: a to give Brady and to tie Brady into the franchise for a couple more years, and to stretch out the cap hit because the Bucks have a money problem. And so if they can add a couple years on the Brady, pull some of his cap hit back because, yes, they get into a little bit of a bind next season with the amount of key guys coming up. But the year after that, they have something like a hundred million dollars in cap space. So that is a situation where they can pull some of his bonus, some of his money back a couple of years or even a year. They can be in a much better financial situation for this current season to bring some more that Chris Godwin and Levante Davids and the Shaq Barretts and Luna Fournette and Antonio Browns back to Tampa Bay if they can pull some of his cap money backwards. And of course, everybody's favorite AFC South quarterback at the moment, Deshaun Watson, is still a Houston Texan. And from what it's been reported, he has not even really been spoken about uh, by the Houston Texans. Uh, he is honestly, they're not even picking up the phone. Teams are calling. They're not answering. Uh, we can't even have reports of what the price is because they're not even having conversations to gauge a market. So when you have a situation like that and you have teams linked, you have the Chicago Bears, the Las Vegas Raiders been brought up. I've heard New England Patriots, obviously, San Francisco 49ers, Washington football team, Carolina Panthers, Miami Dolphins. There's going to be suitors for the spot and for the quarterback, Deshaun Watson. And so until Houston picks up the phone, Nick Cesario, who's came from the Patriots, but now he's the Houston Texans GM, has long been adamant that there will be no change to the quarterback position and that Deshaun Watson will start his season as a Houston Texan. I don't know how you do that amicably. I don't know how you coexist in that kind of environment, especially with a player that definitively wants out. But hey, that's what they're dead set on doing. So they're probably going to do that in Houston. I wouldn't run my business that way, but I'm also not an NFL GM, but I'm also not a bad NFL GM. So I would not run my franchise that way. Now, the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson's divorce seems to be getting more and more public. I'm not saying it's Kim and Kanye divorce, but I mean, it's also not just rumors to make the other one jealous to try and have whatever you want in a relationship. This thing is starting to get oddly accurate. Like when the story first started, I dismissed it. Man, Rush is out there publicly negotiating. He wants a little bit more power. He wants to get everything that they want. He wants his personnel decisions. He wants to be inputted on personnel. He wants a better offensive line. He, he wants things. And his method of go Hawks and behind the scenes isn't working. So he decided for the first time in his career to do a little diva move, to get a little public, to get a little open, to try and show, hey, okay, I, I do matter. I am the leader of this team. And if you don't get what I want, bad things are going to happen in terms of I'm going to cause dysfunction, disarray, and I'm even going to cause havoc in your organization to the point of where you are going to have to do something. Either give me what I want or move me. But this has gotten, like I said, oddly accurate. I dismissed it at first, but now it's now we have teams. See, at first the reports were teams are calling about Russell Wilson. Okay. People called about Tom Brady, like John Lynch, he's got Garoppolo jokingly, half jokingly asked up Bill Belichick about Brady and Brady said, and Belichick said, no, now we finally had those orders of Bob Kraft, but people called about Tom Brady. Of course, people call about Russell Wilson. That's, that's a non-story. Then you hear Russell Wilson and Las Vegas have, uh, been linked to each other. Okay. Still, I'm leaning non-story. That wouldn't be that hard of a conclusion to jump. The Raiders, 
according to the national media, need a quarterback, even though they have Derek Carr, who has been a very, very good quarterback over the past couple of seasons. Not great, but very, very good. You have John Gruden. You have the Raiders fan base looking for a splash. Fans will be allowed in the stadium at some capacity next season. And, of course, putting Russell Wilson on the marquee would be spectacular, along with Vegas is a very good place for a performer. Oh, wait, his wife happens to be Sierra, who could do a Vegas residency from her home instead of moving to Vegas for, you know, five or six months. She could do a Vegas residency at the MGM at whatever and do it from her home because now she no longer has to travel across country and things of that nature. So it is a perfect situation for the family and for Russell Wilson. But it's one of those, okay, who leaked that? You know, did the Raiders leak it? Russ Camp leak it? Who leaked it? But now we have information that only the Seahawks camp would be privy to. And that is the teams that are now in discussions. Now, they're preliminary discussions. There's nothing imminent. I'm not going to sit here and say Russell Wilson should be traded within the next few days. But... There, the discussions have been had. It's the Saints, it's the Raiders, it's the Jets. And so when you look at those squads, that is huge. Because now, like I said, they are putting people on the thing, along with the Dolphins. Of course, you know, they've been in the, the Deshaun Watson situation ever since they got Tua. But you look at those four organizations, Dolphins, Jets, Saints, and Raiders. Now you've got teams. So it no longer feels like a side negotiation it's no longer feels like a negotiation tactic or even false stories this is a team-based article in which case that you have sourcing very good sourcing usually on the team side about what teams have had the furthest conversations about the quarterback trading russell wilson for pretty much anything is a horrible idea but the seahawks if they feel like they are fractioning the locker room with russell wilson in it and they are doing other poor things to the franchise and he's not happy they allow him to walk out of the door now they would take a massive cap hit and this cap hit wouldn't be carson wentz bad it'd be a pretty sizable one and then they would also have to figure out a problem at qb so i guess if you look at it though if you trade with vegas you can get back Derek carr which is not a bad thing to have in terms of quarterback like i said he's been playing very well top 10 numbers the past couple of years uh, I'm not the Dolphins could send you back to so you could have a young guy who Pete Carroll could control and mold the Saints don't have a quarterback for you to replace Russell Wilson with and the Jets have Sam Darnold who they can send you back along with other assets and now guess what you have a very good young quarterback in Sam Darnold again that Pete Carroll can mold and control two USC guys they'll get along just fine so that is interesting to see if the talks pick up and where they pick up with. Now, speaking of Sam Donald, he is in complete limbo right now. We'll touch on him quickly because the Jets have decided they were going to look at all possible top quarterbacks, evaluate them, get them in for interviews, wait till pro days, wait till combines. So Sam Donald right now is in complete limbo with the New York Jets franchise and with his career because he doesn't know if the Jets look around and go, yeah, we're we're good and decide to trade back. He don't know if they look around and say we're good and try to pick a player. He doesn't know if they look around and say that's who we want at number two. Somebody takes Sam Darnold off our hands. So he's in a very interesting spot, interesting bind. I hope he's not watching too much medium. I hope that he's training with someone that can improve his mechanics and looking at film to improve his decision making. But all in all, I am definitely keeping my eye on that situation as is kind of a Sam Darnold fan. But up next, we're going to jump into a newer segment. It's the first time I've ever done this. We're going to jump into a situations bracket. I will explain right after the break. All righty, guys, and welcome back in so i teased this in the last segment and we're going to do a what i call a situation ranking now we may do this for other positions we're going to see how this one goes how you guys interact and change with it but we are going to do the quarterback situation rankings for the nfl 
Now, this ranking is not a situation based on talent. Oh, oh, this quarterback's better than that quarterback, or this team is better than that team. It is a situation of, or a ranking of, how do you feel, or how do I feel, rather, about your current quarterback situation, or how you should feel about your current quarterback situation. And it's going to encompass both sides. So maybe one team feels better about it than a player, like Houston. For instance, Watson feels a lot worse about this situation in Houston than Houston feels about Watson. But it could be reversed. So it could be, you know, the player feels a lot better than the team feels. You know, that kind of thing. It is a fluid list. It's just a situation in its entirety. How does both sides should feel about their situation? We're going to just run them from worst to first. Uh, starting at 32, I would have Denver with Drew Locke. Uh, I don't think Drew Locke feels very secure. I don't think Denver feels very secure in Drew Locke. At 31, there's Deshaun Watson with the Houston Texans. And that is purely because Watson wants out. If Watson was committed, they'd probably be in the top five. But because Deshaun Watson is doing everything in his natural born power to get away from the Houston Texans, that's why they're ranked at 31. At 30, there's Big Ben, because not only is he keeping Pittsburgh from any chance at a Super Bowl title, this year he's keeping them away from a Super Bowl title in the foreseeable future, because the quarterback market may never be this viable again. At 29, I have the Chicago Bears. Why? Because they don't have a quarterback. The only quarterback they have on the roster right now is Nick Foles. In order to get Mitchell Trubisky back, they'll probably have to pay him a multi-year contract of more money than they would have in the probably fifth-year option. And they're too low of a draft pick to flat out just draft one more than likely to lead their team. Plus, they have to solve one fast because their GM, head coach, and defense are all either on the clock in terms of their pers- in terms of their coaching and management staff and or on the contract clock in terms of their players and they're going to leave Chicago 28 I have Sam Darnold with the Jets because no one knows what's going to happen there if he's going to be the week one starter hell if he's even going to be on the team come week one 27 I have Tua with the Dolphins because the reports are out of there that the players are anti-Tua the locker room was split Many thought Ryan Fitzpatrick was better and gave them a better chance to win, yet the coaching staff and management repeatedly put Tua out there, and so I have 27 with Tua. 26 with Jalen Hurts, because he only played four games, only completed 52% of his passes, and now there's starting to be reported that the Eagles may draft the quarterback at number six, which would all but end the very short-lived Jalen Hurts era in Philly. 25, Daniel Jones with the Giants. He's the most fumbling person I ever seen fumble. The most fumbling fumbler in the history of fumbles. He tripped over his own feet while scoring a touchdown, basically. And the Giants are kind of teetering on an edge with him. He may be the best quarterback currently on our roster in the NFC East. However, that's no real future because the NFC East is deplorable and they will just trick you into thinking you have a good quarterback. Speaking of the, another team in the NFC East at 24, I have the Washington football team as their current quarterback situation only exists with Taylor Heineke. However, they're above other guys with actual quarterbacks because all they are, as we've seen from Alex Smith, when he played well, is they're a decent quarterback away from being a very good team, possibly even a playoff contender. At 23, I have Teddy Bridgewater because with the with the Panthers because their situation lies. They're trying to upgrade from Teddy. He's not happy with that. He's unfollowed the team on social media and things of that nature. And so he thought he may have had two years, or maybe all three years with the team. And it turns out they're trying to move on after one. And so he's not happy with that situation. And so I would go with Teddy Bridgewater at 23 with the Panthers and their situation. At 22, I have my New England Patriots because that is a team direct of weapons. They are not too far removed from Tom Brady era. Tom Brady comes to Foxborough next season. And it is a situation where you have little weapons, an impatient coach, and you're directly going to be compared against whatever Tommy does in Tampa Bay. That doesn't feel fair for anybody. And plus, Cam Newton, despite all his flaws, had a pretty decent year in terms of winning. They're two plays from nine and seven and three or four plays away from 10 or 11 wins. At 21, I have the New Orleans Saints with Jameis Winston. Why? Because Jameis Winston's not even under contract. And when I was doing this ranking, I had a question mark besides Jameis' name uh, because I'm, he's not even under contract, although the presume is that he's going to go back. We can't guarantee that for sure. If he was locked under contract, I would probably slide him over a few spots, but because we don't know, he sits at 21. 
at 20, we have Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys, the divorce that won't happen, and they're sticking together for the kids at this point. This is a situation where, again, he's on the contract. He probably slides up a few spots. But because he isn't, he's technically a free agent. If he's not going to play for anybody else, they're going to franchise tag him. Worst comes to worst. But then, like I said, that's just staying married for the kids. That's a rental. That's a lease. And that is not a good situation for your starting quarterback to be in. So I have him at 20. At 19, I have Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions. I have him there because we don't know what the offense is going to look like. Jared Goff has been widely assumed as a basically a computer program that Sean McVay is pushing the buttons to. And so with that being said, I have Jared Goff at number 19. Right above him, at number 18, I have Matt Ryan, the Atlanta Falcons. Why? Because the Atlanta Falcons are also trying to move on from Matt Ryan. However, they're financially tied to him. So this is sort of like staying together when you've got a, a mutual assets in each other's names. And so they are staying together until they can figure out a way to dissolve the assets properly. That being said, that's not a good situation for your quarterback to be in. The Falcons defense is still terrible. And because now they're paying an aging Julio and Matt Ryan a lot of money, they have a new staff and a new front office. So that's not their guy, obviously. So they are in a tenable situation. So I have Matt Ryan and the Falcons at 18. At 17, I have Jimmy G and the San Francisco 49ers. This is like publicly flirting or having a Bumble or a Tinder account while in a committed relationship. This is what the 49ers and Jimmy G have been doing. It's like uh, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have a Bumble. And they've been basically just trying to flirt with other quarterbacks and see if they can get one. They'll, you know, talk to Jimmy G and break it off because it wasn't working out. It wasn't you. It was me. When the whole time they were going after this other chick. So this is a situation that's not good for anybody that's involved in terms of when they're together, they're winning. But Jimmy's often not there. His body usually fails him. And so that's why I have them at 17. At 16, which if you asked me to do this three weeks ago, he would know the situation would nowhere near be 16. But at 16, I have Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. They are going. The Seahawks haven't made the Bumble page, but Russell Wilson's looked up how to do it a couple of times. He's looked up how to make a tender. He's got a secret Snapchat that he hadn't used yet, but he's got it just in case he has to. And so this is a situation where it is dissolving in front of our eyes. Uh, Russell's finally gone public, like I said, with complaints. He's never done that. He's always been Go Hawks guy. And now he's starting to go public with his complaints. And so this situation that is becoming kind of a tinderbox. And now reports are coming out that they are talking even preliminarily to teams about a possible trade for Russell Wilson. Uh, the price is starting at three first. So that is something we would definitely keep our eyes on there. And that's why I have them at 16. At 15, I have Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans. Now, this is where in this half of the rankings, if you're in certain spots, it probably leans on either your talent or experience. And Ryan Tannehill is very efficient, but we pretty much know he's being made by Derrick Henry in that run game. And so he can counteract off that run game. He's a beast in play action. He's a beast in the red zone. But a lot of people believe, myself included, that that is based on the fact that he has the best running back in the game behind him. In those situations, that is always a constant threat to literally stiff arm one of your players into the dirt. At a 14, we have Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, I'm aware that Trevor Lawrence is not in the NFL. Yes, I'm aware the draft is two months away and yes i'm aware that anything can happen between now and then hell trevor lawrence not even training right now he's recovering from labrum surgery but we all know trevor lawrence is going to the jacksonville jaguars so i feel very comfortable putting him there the only reason why he is this low is because of experience he literally has not even been drafted into the nfl in order to showcase his abilities do i have him at 14 at 13 i have kirk cousins and the minnesota vikings uh, this is not a tenables. This is not a good situation. And you, even the kids aren't happy. You see, you heard Justin Jefferson screaming at Kirk Cousins last year when Kirk missed him on a, a touchdown ball. Even the kids aren't happy. But they're stuck together because, like I said earlier, about uh, Jimmy G, or Matt Ryan, rather, that they're stuck together because the assets are in each other's names. The Vikings owe Cousins a lot of money. 
and fully guarantee money due to the way he's been structuring his contracts like a genius. And so they're pretty stuck together for the next couple of years. And so they're going to have to battle it out. Cousins has some talent. The Vikings has some talent around them. So they can put a cup piece together on the defensive side of the ball. The Vikings should very well make the playoffs, especially with Dalvin Cook. So I have them at 14. At, uh, sorry, I have them right above. Yeah. So at the number 12 spot, I have Derek Carr and the Las Vegas Raiders. This isn't even public. Like This isn't even like making a bumble. This is like going on Twitter saying, hey, does anybody want to come over tonight? And you're laying next to your girl. Yeah, that's what this pretty much has been. Like this has been public flirtation of the highest order on everyone. It seems the Vegas Raiders are connected to trying to move off Derek Carr, agree at the quarterback position when they have much more issues than the quarterback actually Derek Carr's been playing pretty well and so uh, I am ranking them at the number 12 spot for that very reason because they are with that situation with Carr and they're just like I said publicly flirting on Twitter at this point um trying to do everything they can to almost tamper but not quite tamper and to upgrade at the quarterback position right above them we have Joe Burrow, who comes at number 11, and the Cincinnati Bengals. I say that because of the team around him, not Joe Burrow. If Joe Burrow had, I don't know, the Chargers roster, he may be in the top three. But because he doesn't, he is sitting at number 11. He's coming off of ACL surgery due to the fact his offense line is horrid and deplorable. And so the Cincinnati Bengals traditionally under help anybody with talent on their team. And so because of that, I have them ranked at number 11. Coming in at number 10, I have Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. Why are they not higher? More importantly, why are they not lower? I consider bringing them a lot lower, but Baker's coming off his best year of his career. He's got a new coach in Kevin Stefanski. And honestly, he's still on his rookie contract for at least another year. Now I talk about extending him. If they extend him, admittedly, he will fall down the list. But for right now, he's in a good situation. He's on a good value of a contract. So he's sitting at number 10. Coming in right above him at number nine, I have Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. He's on a rookie deal. He is a top arm talent. He's the second or third best runner in the league at the quarterback position. He's got DeAndre Hopkins. He's got Christian Kirk. He's got a GM that'll go out and make a move, as we've seen with the DeAndre Hopkins trade. He's got an offensive-minded head coach. Now, the only thing I worry about him is the defense. And honestly, his coach. I know I gave his coaches a bonus point on offense, but K- Cliff Kingsbury is good on offense. But we've seen him at Texas Tech and Arizona, and it's not a lot of winning. And he's had Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray in those time frames. So I worry about his organization in terms of helping him out. But in terms of him and his ability and what he does on that offense, he's in a very good situation. And he has a couple years left on that rookie deal. So he's one of the best bargains in the NFL. And for that, I have Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals quarterback situation ranked at number nine. At number eight, I have Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. This is purely because of the rift that seems to be coming between the organization and the quarterback. He's open that he wants a new contract. He's been open to the fact that he didn't like the Jordan Love pick. He has not been getting the weapons he thought he deserved over the past few years. I mean, he got an MVP, so how bad could it be? But... He has been very open about those situations. The organization reportedly told him, don't be the problem when they hired Matt LaFleur. And so there's a rift going on between the two sides. And so for that reason, I have him at number eight. At number seven, I have Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Now, he is sitting here because there's a situation in the playoffs. There has not not been performing well in the playoffs. Even the game they won, he didn't perform necessarily well against the Titans. And he is about to get paid soon. The organization has been very open that they're going to extend him. When you extend him, you're going to lose a lot of his value because now you have to start peeling off people around him in order to continue to pay him at what his contract is going to be. And so he's not the best thrower in the world, but he is one of the younger quarterbacks on this list. And for that reason, I have him at number seven. Coming in at number six, I have Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts. You're probably wondering, at this point, you might have assumed that Carson Wentz didn't even make the list. Well, you're wrong. He's sitting there at number six for the Indianapolis Colts. 
I spoke about this last week when the trade first went down. That Frank Wright is a QB wizard. He's had Wentz's best year. He's had Luck's best year and Philip Rivers' second or third best year in the last year of his career. And so Wentz is back there. That team is good. They have cap space and they have a couple of guys that can hit in free agency. And if Carson Wentz resembles that 2017 player, the Indianapolis Colts have a very good chance of representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. And so that being said, I have them at number six because Wentz is back with his spirit animal of a coach in Frank Wright, who was his OC in 2017. And his current office coordinator for the Colts was the quarterback coach in Philadelphia in 2017. And so Carson Wentz, with the best offensive line in football, a good run game, a great defense, is set up for success. So I have their situation with the Colts and Wentz at number six. At number five, I have Matt Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams. Two years ago, two, three years ago, the Los Angeles Rams were in the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. Now, since then, they've gotten an upgrade at running back. Yeah, I said it. Cam Akers is better than Ty Gurley right now. Their defense has gotten a lot better, and now they've upgraded quarterback as well, and Sean McVay has experience. So, with that, Matt Stafford is a great young, is a great quarterback. I said young by mistake, but he's 32 years old. He's not old by any means. And he's got much more arm talent than Jared Goff. He's a lot better quarterback than Jared Goff. And Sean McVay has got to be doing the happy dance. I mean, we've got guys who's been on different shows in the Rams saying that the energy in the building is even a little different. Sean's talking a little different because he knows he has a guy with a lot of talent in Matt Stafford on a big upgrade from Jared Goff and a smaller contract than Jared Goff is on. I mean, it is all around a good situation for the Rams. And for that, I have him at number five. At number four, I have Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers. The only reason why Justin Herbert is not hired is because he does not have the experience that the other quarterbacks have. And that situation is, and the lack of experience rather, is holding that situation back. And for that reason, I have it at four. Look, Justin Herbert won Rookie of the Year. We saw that, although I believe Burrow would have won it had he made it through the year. Shout out Chase Young. But uh, Herbert is sitting there at number four because of his amazing talent. He went toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes twice. He went toe-to-toe with Tom Brady. He went toe-to-toe with that Denver team that he should have won the game, but things happened. I mean, he's a few missed kicks away or made kicks away, depending on your point of view from having a much better record. They wouldn't have made the playoffs, but Anthony Lynn probably still has a job and all the other stuff. But now they have a new coach, defensive-minded coach. They have a new coordinator. We don't see how that works, but they have arguably the best roster in football, especially with a healthy Derwin James, and they pick pretty high in this draft so they can fill in any hole they might perceive, whether that be offensive lineman, whether that be a tight end in case Hunter Henry decides to walk and they pick up Kyle Pitts. You know, it's a situation where the Chargers have a very good roster and they live in L.A. It's a pretty good situation. At three, I have Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills because, well, nothing's going to change that offense. Again, they would be higher, maybe one spot higher, possibly even at number one. Unfortunately, they don't have a run game. And so that's going to encumber them. But they're bringing back Cole Beasley. They're bringing back... Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen getting a year older, a year better. Brian Dable, who should be somebody's NFL head coach, is still the OC one more year. The culture is set right. The offense knows everything they're going to do. And so, therefore, and they were in an AFC title game and could have beaten the Chiefs, but things happen. And they are, that situation with the Bills at quarterback is sitting at number three because of Josh Allen. At number two, we have Tom Edward Patrick Brady Jr., Fresh off his seventh Super Bowl, sitting in at number two with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Now, they are at number two due to Brady's age. I have to put in the fact that he may fall off of a cliff. And he's not as talented as the number one guy. So, weapon on weapon, they're about equal when everybody's healthy. And so, therefore, I have Tom Brady at number two. And, of course, at number one, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. They have the best offensive mind in football, Andy Reid. Arguably top seven or eight offensive mind in the world in Eric Bieniemy. They have Patrick Mahomes, the most talented quarterback anybody's ever seen, calling the shots. They have weapons galore with Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, currently Sammy Watkins, uh, Miko Hardman, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and that crew ready to roll. They're going to be on a revenge tour. I know it. And so, therefore, I have the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes at the top of my quarterback situation rankings please dive into them tear them apart show me what i think i may have made a mistake in 
Um, obviously, like I said, the only rookie I have confirmed in the list is Trevor Lawrence. And that is because he's the only rookie where we absolutely know he's going to be. And so, therefore, he is in there. Guys like Fields, Lance, Jones, Trask, uh, those guys, and Wilson aren't in there. But up next, we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be a talk about Tiger Woods. Hello, everybody, and welcome in back to the show uh, for best for last. Um, Welcome back in. And for we're going to talk about Tiger Woods for a second, not a long second, Um, not a golf aficionado by any means. So I won't dive into the specifics of his swing and his mechanics and stuff like that. I I don't I don't know the game that deep. But what I do know is culture. What I do know is impact. What I do know is what you did for what you do. So what does that phrase mean? What does Mike? What did Michael Jordan do for basketball? What does what is LeBron James currently doing for basketball? What does Steph Curry currently doing for basketball? What did Brady do for football? What did Tiger do for golf? What did Simone Biles do for gymnastics? What did Serena do for tennis? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What did you do for what you do? What did Elon Musk do for tech? And what did Bill Gates do for tech, et cetera? Um, what did Jeff Bezos do for marketplaces and selling and retail? Um, what did you do for what you do? Tiger Woods did for golf with no other athlete has done for any other sport by themselves. Um, for instance, Magic and Bird saved the NBA in the, when they came in in 79 through the 80s. But what it was Magic and Bird. Now, Michael Jordan had a crazy impact on the game, too. His last finals had twice the viewership of the very next finals. His last game had four or five times the viewership of the average of the NBA finals just last season. So that was a crazy impact. And of course, it's a viewership cut in half when Michael didn't play and stuff like that. And that's huge. But the game was still popular. The game was still making money. The TV deals were still pushing the contract out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Golf, people made money because Tiger Woods played. You won less and made more because Tiger Woods played. Right before Tiger Woods came in, no golfer, the year before he came in, got popular. No golfer made a million dollars in earnings. Just six or seven years later, like 10 of them made over a million dollars in earnings. They weren't winning. Like Tiger Woods was creaming them. But because of his viewership, because of his impact, because of the attention he brought to the sport, because of everything, he was raising the purses of the tournaments. Because, you know, they make all kind of TV. I'm not sure how it works in golf exactly, but I know in the NBA and the NFL and stuff like that, the players get a portion of the money. So, of the TV deals or the whatever, the sponsorship dollars. So, because Tiger Woods is involved, it went up. It matriculated up. Jack Nicholas earned $3.1 million in purse golfing in his career. And he's won more majors than anybody. And Jack golfed for like 40 years, <laughs> it felt like, or it seems. Tiger Woods was getting a million dollars to appear somewhere and be, and to talk and to just be seen. He was getting a million dollars. And tell you the upgrade and the profile of Tiger Woods. Tiger, there I don't know a life where Tiger Woods not playing golf actively outside of the accident. The accident is when it changed, but showing him there, like I said, there was African American brown and black faces in the crowd just to go see Tiger. I mean, people were always talking about, man, we're we're going to watch Tiger, you know? Like, my my grandma will sit in the bed and watch golf for the expressive purpose of watching Tiger. She barely watches golf anymore. I I don't know anybody that even talks golf on the national stage unless it's the Masters or the U.S. Open or, you know, one of the majors because Tiger's not playing. Tiger used to make the Buick Open exciting. The Buick Open used to be... The exciting because Tiger was playing and he's on his two or three tournament streak and going to see if his streak can continue. Or he's coming off winning the Masters by 14 strokes and you're going to see if he can just dominate the Buick and see how much he can win that by. People during golf would have golf on one of the channels and football on the other. 
because Tiger was playing on Sunday at three o'clock because he was in the final pairing or the uh, second to last pairing or whatever. And so they're flipping back and forth between the prime, between the midday game, the one of the biggest slots in the NFL, especially at the time, and Tiger playing golf. Tiger used to wear the red shirt. He had muscles. He was, he wasn't the fat guy in pink pants, the old guy playing golf, sipping Arnold Palmer's. He was a big, muscled Marine trained. He looked like a football player, a basketball player who played golf. He overpowered golf courses. They had the tiger proof, quote unquote, golf courses because he would hit the ball so hard and far that he would have an average short game and cream everybody. What it would take somebody one and a half shots to get 350 yards, Tiger would just crush him 300 yards on the fairway and then crush him again because he was bigger and stronger than everybody. Uh, like I said, he was a golf prodigy. He was on TV for his golf game at three or four years old and had an agent uh, by 11 years old. He was hailed as the next, as the greatest potential golfer ever before he turned the age of 18. Then he creams everybody for a decade. He has his personal struggles. Tiger feels like a fire that is going to burn really, 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 really bright and then burn out. And I, I hope that this last situation was the spark to make it just burn for a long time. Just become an ember and just ride out because the world needs more Tiger Woods. He, Tiger Woods is 70 years old and never plays golf again and can just sit there and talk about the game. It would just be amazing for everybody to see. I mean, Tiger Woods was the first athlete in my life where he's losing and you're like, yeah, he's going to win. No, no, no. He's lose like he's down four strokes entering Sunday. And you're like, if the guy in first lets Tiger Woods gain a shot, he's in trouble. And it would be hole number six on the day. They're shooting, you know, they're playing 18, and it's hole six. And the first place guy, double bogeys, tournament's over. Tiger's gonna win. He gets a bogey, Tiger gets an eagle, tournament over. Tiger's gonna win. He, he, to be honest, he gets a bogey and Tiger gets a birdie. Tournament over, Tiger's gonna win. He, there's still 12, there's only 10 holes left and he's down three shots and you're like, Tiger's gonna win. And more often than not, Tiger won. And so I'm glad to know he's still with us and that he's still alive and that he's gonna recover as a normal human. Will he ever play competitive golf again? I doubt it, honestly. Um, hopefully he can play with his son. Uh, we saw his son not too long ago. I mean, that'll be the last golf appearance Tiger would have probably in the public eye was being with his son playing. So that was really cool. That reminded you of, you know, when his dad used to go out with him, putting all the effort into him when he was younger. So that is really cool that hopefully he can become a normal human. Oh, he could be having a normal life and play golf. Even his playing around with his son while his son develops and grows up. But that is all we have for the day. I uh, thank you guys for sticking with me on a Thursday, a little bit unconventional for us. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.